Hold hands and close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Store. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thank you for tuning in. This is episode number 47. And we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about but can never quite reach. How you doing, Ian? I'm doing really well. How are you doing, Brennan? I am uh, I am conflicted. Uh-oh. Because I had to tell a, a pretty big fib the other day, and oh, I don't like no. lying. Oh, no. So, <sighs> all right. Is anybody pregnant? <laughs> no. Okay, good. No, well, okay. Not, not by me, at least. Excellent. Okay, it's two lies. <laughs> no, 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 I swear. Uh, so I, I have taken to spending my spare time in uh, Quasar's Arcade. Oh, okay. As I've discussed on previous the yeah, last episode. Pretty normal for a yeah. middle-aged man. <laughs> I'm you know, middle-aged, maybe, no, not quite. <laughs> Give me another year, fuck you. <laughs> Anyways, so I've been spending time there when I have time for off work uh, playing pinball. Right. And I had, well, first I've, I've had two realizations or sorry, I had a realization before I tell my story. When I was a kid in Revelstoke, we had the odd, uh, arcade pop up. Sure. They, they never lasted long cause they were either badly managed or, uh, were found to be conducting some kind of illegal activity. <laughs> Surprise. I know. Yeah. Uh, but when we did have them, I remember going in as a, as a little kid and there were always these older guys there playing pool or right. playing pinball and they always looked kind of scary because yeah. they were grown men and you're a kid and you think, yeah. oh man, these guys are, I don't know what these guys are up to. Yeah. So I was in Quasars the other day getting some change and this little kid turns around and it, he's, you know, wa- almost walks into me. Yeah. The f- look of fear in his face. And I realized I'm that guy now. <laughs> I'm the creepy older guy in the arcade. What you feared you have become. That truly. Because wow. the thing is I'm harmless, but I, I don't have an easy smile. I don't smile no, quickly. No, you are kind of scary looking. Well, fair enough. Yeah. 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 I don't smile quickly. No. And so yeah, this poor kid got the fright of his life. So now oh, I have no. started another cycle. Yes. You've uh, moved on in your life. Yes. From the feared, no, from the afeared to the feared. Truly. Yeah. I am the apex predator of Quasar's <laughs> Arcade. Oh, please don't say predator in Arcade. <laughs> please don't oh, say I, that. I didn't, oh That's boy. not right. I am filled with regrets. I would be too. <laughs> oh, I dear. would be too. Yeah, put that on your resume. Moving I'm on. the apex predator in the Arcade. <laughs> so the thing that happened though, my, my secret shame um, <laughs> there's well, more. Yo, there's more. <laughs> so of course, you know that up until recent, up until, uh, early last year, I was been working for a consulting company. Right. Part of my pay packet was that they would pay for my cell phone. Right. So, and then when I, when they laid me off, because I was technically still sort of there, like there to troubleshoot for them yeah. when they needed me, they've been paying for my cell phone. Very nice. So I haven't had to pay a cell phone bill in seven years. Oh my Lord. It's a nice place to be. Let me Very tell you. Very nice. Uh, however, recently... They, they're, the company is selling. They realized a, that <laughs> yeah. they were still paying for your cell phone. Oh no, they knew. No, but, I, uh, know, I know. The company is selling into a larger company. Oh, okay. And so, you know, they, they wanted to know why their, uh, their annual cell phone bill was $17,000 <laughs> cause there's a bunch of different people on the network. Oh, we did this for a few, cause I mean, it actually made, it was a better deal for the company. Sure. Because yeah. we had other people sharing the burden. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you know, cause we invoiced everyone, but anyways, so Getting all this set up took some time on the phone with the provider and then they called me back because there was one or two details that needed to be hammered out. Well, I was in Quasars when this happened. 
I was playing the Iron Maiden pinball machine, which I quite enjoyed. Of course you were. And um, I answered the phone and, and it was quite loud. And the operator said to me, sir, I, if you don't mind me asking, where are you that it's so loud? And I, not even thinking, I said, oh, I'm in a video arcade. And the operator said, oh, did you bring your kids there? Oh my God. Because why else would a grown man be hanging out in an arcade? And I said, yes. <laughs> you, you shame childed. <laughs> I couldn't bear the thought oh. of telling another adult, no, no, no. It's just me here. It's just me here. And then hear that, oh, <laughs> of judgment and pity coming down the phone. I get that. I get that. I understand that. So it gets worse. What? Oh, it gets worse. How? Well, this, this, this operator says, oh, that's great. I said, yeah, they really love this place. Oh my God. He you said, gave them emotions. You're a good dad. And I said, thank you. Oh, my God. Gets, you got a compliment for being a fantasy father. It gets worse. No. So. What, they got names? Little <laughs> Stephanie and Jason? <laughs> Thankfully, no. Okay, good. But I had to step outside because it was too loud to finish the call inside. So I, uh, now, how do you know? I lost a whole game of Iron Maiden I'm, pinball for this. I'm heartbroken. Oh, me too. I'm still yeah. thinking about it. Yeah. It's here. <laughs> but uh, anyways, so I, I leave and I step outside and the operator says, oh, but what about your kids? And I said, no, don't worry. I can see them right oh. through this window. <laughs> They're fine. Little Nathaniel and Kiki. Just <laughs> I should have said Playing the Ghostbusters game. Oh, they do have a Ghostbusters pinball game there. There you go. But, uh. Brennan. Man, I was thinking to myself the whole time, please don't ask their names. Please don't ask their names. I don't want to have to lie more. What do you mean? You already took a compliment that you were a good dad. Wow. Well, I was already in too deep at that point. I couldn't well, you were. I couldn't back up. I'm surprised the person didn't be like, oh, text me pictures. <laughs> yeah, frantically then... scrolled through stock photos. <laughs> Generic boy and girl. Yeah. Why do they have a watermark? Oh, they're models too. They're shit, shit, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so let me get this straight. You lied about having kids. Yes. You accepted a compliment as a pretend dad. I couldn't get out of it, yes. And then you uh, gave this person an affirmation that you were, in fact, keeping an eye on your fantasy children when you left the building. Like, yes. it just kept going. <laughs> but, no, because, you know, it, it did feel wrong. I just had no choice. Oh, you had no choice. Well, I was invested at this point. Well, you, yeah, you made a wrong hey, turn. Look, I shamelessly... You made a wrong turn. Not only that, but I shamelessly flirted with the operator to get a discount. What? And it was a man. And did it work? Yep. Ah, <laughs> 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 eh, whatever works. It was a day of deception. A day of <laughs> dark deception. Uh, but who's got a discount on his cell phone bill and no kids? And, no, <laughs> and then it was a good day. Yeah, it was a good day. <laughs> Me and Ice Cube. Oh my God. <laughs> so what would your kids be named? Uh, funny enough. You need to be ready for next time. Oh, no, no. See, uh, funny enough, I think it was Lori, uh, who's one of our listeners on, cause I told this story on my radio show. Right. And, um, she said, oh, I'm, you know, you should have come up with names. And I said, no, no. Cause I'm concerned that if I spend too much time on this, I will chaos magic it into existence. Yes. And you'll have these little ghost children running around. Or that, or someone gets pregnant. Oh. Yeah. Twins. Yeah. Fuck off. Boy and a girl. Stop it. Nathaniel and Kiki, they're oh. coming. Merry Christmas. Well, this is the last episode of The Ghost Story, guys, because I'm going to murder Ian <laughs> to death right now. Well, it just replaced me with fantasy children, so whatever. <laughs> It'll be you talking to an empty mic convinced you can hear voices. Well, it might bump our numbers. <laughs> God almighty. Anyways, moving on. 
On today's show, we're going to be talking about stories from cab drivers mm-hmm. or stories that revolve around taxis. Mm-hmm. And the guys found some really great stuff for the show. They I'm actually excited. found, oh, me too. They found more than we could fit. So there may be a part two coming in nice. the future. Yeah. That's amazing. And uh, we have a musical guest this week, I'm sure. We do, yes. Uh, courtesy of Future 80s Records. Ooh. Our musical guest is the Starfighter with their song Nighthawk nice. from their After Hours EP. You can find more from them at future80s.bandcamp.com and they're on all the major streaming services as well. Nice. Coming up after the break, taxi to the other side. Welcome back. As we said before the break on this episode, we're going to be talking about creepy stories around and in taxis. Now, just taxis or other forms of public transportation? Just taxis. Oh, I wonder what would happen if we opened it up. Oh, I'm sure there's lots of stuff. Planes, buses, trains? Actually, funny enough, uh, Rachel posted this great story about a uh, haunted train to Instagram the other day. Nice. So we're going to be looking at doing a haunted trains episode in the new year. Trains are creepy. Trains are very creepy. I love trains. Oh, I do too. they are creepy. Yeah. One of my fondest memories as a kid was we took a family vacation from Calgary to Vancouver on the train. Oh, nice. Oh, amazing. I would love to do that. I've I've done that down in the US. It's uh, expensive now. Oh, yeah. It's like $4,500 to (gasps) take the train from here to, I think it's from here to Winnipeg. That's crazy. I remember I took Amtrak in 08 from Seattle to Chicago. Right. And then Chicago to New Orleans. And I don't think the whole the whole trip didn't cost me half that. No, oh in, no, in U.S. it's much cheaper. And in I other got parts of the world, all my meals included. I think it's because Canada's just way too big. That's Maybe. The, the problem, well, and there's not enough major cities. You know, the other thing is, I think we sort of stripped back our rail travel infrastructure. Oh, big time! Because I know Huge. You, you used to be able to leave Revelstoke at night and wake up in Vancouver the next morning. Right, you can't do that anymore. I think people abandoned the train as a viable source of transportation. Oh, well. Yes. Well, this isn't the haunted train episode, though. This is the haunted cabs episode. And here we are lamenting train travel like we're from the 1920s. <laughs> I so know. there you go. We're old souls. Oh, let's go with we'll that. We'll go with that. This first story we wanted to mention probably isn't so much an example of the paranormal as it is grave mental illness and incredible luck. But it's one of those sort of you got to hear this type deals. 
In March of this year, a Hong Kong cab driver was ferrying a passenger through Hong Kong's Causeway Bay, an upscale shopping district, when out of nowhere, a man literally charged and headbutted the windshield. The whole thing was captured on the cab's dashboard cam, and it is wild. The driver is minding his own business, driving down the road, when Mr. Lee runs out into traffic. At first, you just think he's wandered out there by mistake, but then he starts running straight for the cab and leaps headfirst into the windshield, fracturing it. The craziest thing about all of this is that after the collision, his skull has literally fractured the windshield of a vehicle in motion. Mr. Lee gets up and walks away. According to authorities, he didn't suffer any lasting injury either. Now, the reason this is being talked up on the ghost story, guys, and not weird things that happen to cabbies in Hong Kong is that Mr. Lee claims it would be. Mr. Lee claims he did the whole thing because he'd become possessed by a ghost. Now, I have heard of this where ghosts sort of take over and then scare people. Well, that, that's a scare. Well, you know what I mean, though. Like, they make them do stupid things. Right, right, right. But I don't know if I've ever really heard of it in real life, just in the movies. Well, that's it. Yeah, it's something you hear about in movies. I mean, yeah. if it's, I mean, I assume it's mental illness. Uh, but then you wonder how the hell he just gets up and walks away with no lasting injury. Demons. Oh, they're, okay, that's, I'm getting some <laughs> demons. My back hurts. <laughs> This isn't the only case we found in Hong Kong where something like this had happened. Uh, it's the only one where, you know, a man yeah. tries to sort of bull elk a, uh, a car. <laughs> but there was a case where a 65-year-old male passenger wanted off a bus, but he missed a stop. Yeah. And the driver wouldn't stop again. So he started headbutting the windshield. Oh. And eventually he put a hole in it and threw his shoe out. Okay. Before starting to attack the driver. I'm, so like at least part of him is off the bus? Was that the thing? Uh, maybe, yeah. That's my, my shoe's off now, so you have to stop. But see, that's kind of a rage thing, right? Like oh, when sure. people just lose their shit and they just start rage attacking anything. But I kind of wonder if that's what happened to the this taxi guy, though. But where's the motivation? Well, maybe Mr. Lee hates cabs? Like... <laughs> It seems a little over the top maybe to me. Maybe he gets, you know, Mrs. Lee's boyfriend texts him a picture of them going at it. In a cab? Maybe, yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe it's a, he's a cab driver. Maybe. See, it all comes together. There you go. We just solved the whole story. You're welcome, the internet. <laughs> Ghost story, guys. Bring me the facts. <laughs> all right. We have one more news story that we're going to tell before mm-hmm. we actually get to the ghost stories the guys found. Uh and we debated this story a little bit, at least how we were going to present it, because it involves taxi drivers in post-tsunami Japan yeah. picking up you know, ghostly hitchhikers who want to be taken to places which are no longer there. And the story was picked up by Western media, who really ran with it, shock. <laughs> and a lot of what we read seemed embellished. Yeah. And a lot of them mentioned the original article in the uh, Sahi, um Japan newspaper, but they never linked it. Huh. And I mean, that started to seem like a red flag. Yeah, definitely. Because you know? it, it's sort of, again... Here's our source material, but we're not going to show you it to Exactly. You. Yeah. And I, I started like going, Povelia, Povelia, yeah, Povelia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I managed to find the original article, and it's not on the internet anymore. It's, oh, pardon me. It's it's on the internet, but you have to go through the Wayback Machine to find it. Oh, okay. I'm just going to read the whole article here. It's not that long. Yeah. This was published on January 21st, 2016 by Hideki Ishibashi, the senior staff writer for the Asai Shimbun. I'm so glad you're reading this one. <laughs> <laughs> In early summer 2011, a taxi driver working in a Shinomaki, uh, Miyagi prefecture, which had been devastated by the tsunami a few months earlier, had a mysterious encounter. A woman who was wearing a coat climbed in his cab near Ishinomaki Station. The woman directed him, please go to Manamihama. The driver in his 50s asked her, the area is almost empty, is it okay? Then the woman said in a shivering voice, have I died? 
Surprised at the question, the driver looked back at the rear seat. No one was there. Wow. A Tohoku Gakuin University senior majoring in sociology included the encounter in her graduation thesis, in which seven taxi drivers reported carrying ghost passengers Mm -hmm. following the March 2011 Great East Japan earthquake and tsunami. Yuka Kudo, 22, went to Ishinomaki every week in her junior year to interview taxi drivers waiting for fares. She asked them, did you have any unusual experiences after the disaster? She asked the question to more than 100 drivers and many ignored her. Some became angry. However, seven drivers recounted their mysterious experiences to her. Another taxi driver who was in his 40s told of an unexplainable occurrence. According to the driver, a man who looked to be in his 20s got in the taxi. When the driver looked into the rearview mirror, his passenger was pointing toward the front. The driver repeatedly asked the man for his destination. Then the passenger replied, Hiyoriyama. When the taxi arrived there, however, the man had disappeared. Mm -hmm. The seven drivers' accounts cannot be easily dismissed as simple illusions. That is, because if his passenger climbed in their taxi, the driver started their meter, which is recorded. Right. If the passengers were indeed ghosts, they were still counted as riders. As a result, the drivers were forced to pay their fares. That is some bullshit is what that is. Yeah, no kidding. You need you a union. (laughs) There's power in a union. Martha Ray. (laughs) That's right. Some of the seven drivers jotted down their experiences in their logs. One showed his driver's report, which noted there was a fare that went unpaid. As the ghosts the drivers encountered were all youthful, it is believed they could be the spirits of victims of the 2011 disaster. Young people feel strongly chagrined when they cannot meet people they love. As they want to convey their bitterness, they may have chosen taxis, which are like private rooms as a medium to do so, Kudo Hmm. said. What impressed Kudo was that the drivers did not have any fear toward their ghost passengers, but held them in reverence. They regarded the encounters as important experiences to be cherished. The taxi drivers were feeling the daily sorrow of residents in Ishinomaki where many people were killed by the tsunami. Hmm. One said that he lost a family member in the disaster. Another said, it is not strange to see a ghost here. If I encounter a ghost again, I will accept it as my passenger. Hmm. Kudo came from Akita Prefecture, which was not struck by the tsunami. Before interviewing taxi drivers, she had only thought of the victims as thousands of people who had died in the disaster. Through the interviews, I learned that the death of each victim carries importance, she said. I want to convey that to other people. Mm, Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, it's fascinating. Oh, so fascinating. And it makes perfect sense. Sure. Yeah. What I find interesting about this is that um, before recording today, I, I was reading more of that psychical phenomena in the war book. Yeah. And there are so many verified stories in there of people who had a dream or vision of the death of a loved one the day it happened overseas. Right. Verified. Right. You know, with letters from multiple people who heard right. about the dreams on a certain day. Right. Um, and then you see this, which is documented. Yeah. And you just wonder, how is it we can keep denying that there's something going on? Because we can't, because not everyone can do it. Right. So therefore you can't say, oh, you know that time when? Because someone else is going to look at you like, what? Right. And I think that's part of the problem is everyone sort of agrees these things happen. Right. But then they'll find a way to take them apart. Like when I was on the radio, people would phone with their ghost stories. I don't believe in ghosts, but Ah, this happened to me. Sure. So people want to be able to withhold coming right out and saying, yes, I believe in ghosts. Because there's a vulnerability in belief. Right. Right. So that way you can say, I don't believe in ghosts, but right. this is what happened. And with these stories in particular, I mean, ugh, this is fascinating to me. And I'm sure out of the hundreds of cabbies she talked to, many, many more had had their own experiences. Oh, sure. But it scared them. Yeah. Or they didn't want to talk about it because they were not wanting it to happen again. So the fact that it's sort of like when we talk crime statistics at work. Right. We always, I always make a point of saying this is the number of theft from autos that occurred last year. 
However, this is just the number reported. Absolutely. There are hundreds more that people never bother reporting mm-hmm. because there's no need in terms of insurance or whatever. Right. So I think it's the same thing here. Oh, I, I agree completely. That it's the tip of the iceberg here. There's way more below the surface. I wonder too if there is some connection between the fact that there is a lone driver and the ability to experience these things. Because yeah. we, we've talked a little bit about the idea that reality is sort of dictated by consensus. Right. And so, you know, if you are one person alone and you're open to these things, it's much easier for it to happen mm-hmm. than if you are in a mixed group or a, a group of mixed company yeah. who have varying beliefs. You know, yeah. it's, it's like, uh, people trying to turn a car, but everyone turning the wheel in different directions. Right. You know, I wonder if there's something to that. Yeah. Didn't surprise me. All right. So now we're going to move on to, uh, some actual first person ghost stories. Yay. This first story is called the woman in white. I was born and raised in India to Orthodox Christian parents, and though I'm skeptical by nature, consider myself a Christian as well. Having that belief system, and the fact that I'm now a medical student, makes the experience I'm about to share even harder to accept. Though I now live in Bangalore, I grew up in Padukatai district, in the Indian state of Tamil Nadu, and twice a year during summer and winter breaks, I would go back there to visit my maternal grandparents. I'm 24 now, and this experience happened in my early teens. To get to Padukatai, we would travel overnight by train from Bangalore to the city of Trishi, then take either a bus or a taxi the rest of the way. On this occasion, I was already in Padukatai with my grandparents, and we were awaiting the arrival of my younger sister, who was traveling alone. At that time, there was a taxi driver my family would regularly hire to drive us, an elderly man in his late 60s who had been driving cab for more than 30 years. He was calm, friendly, and I liked him. He picked us up around 2 a.m. to drive us to the train station in Trishi so we could pick up my sister. There are a handful of small villages about halfway between the two places, but other than that the landscape is a barren wasteland, covered in bushes and trees. On some stretches the trees crowd the road so closely you can no longer see the moon, and everything is pitch black. The only light comes from the car's headlights. In those places the headlights always seem weaker, like even they are intimidated by the darkness. That night I was tired and the drive boring, so I drifted off to sleep for a bit, and by the time I woke up we were already at the train station. With my sister and her belongings safely tucked into the car, we began the drive back home. Because I'd had a nap earlier, I was wide awake, and so it was my job to keep the driver company as my sister and grandparents slept in the back. If you are familiar with these parts, you will know that the highway is not especially well lit, save for moonlight and the infrequent headlights of oncoming cars. Once we hit the overgrown part of the highway, there were no other cars, and the headlights barely illuminated the passing trees. It was around four in the morning, in that stretch of woods, when it happened. Because I was talking to the driver, I was paying more attention to him than the road, so my first indication of something being wrong was the look on his face. I can't describe it. It's like something didn't fit, and he was trying to make sense of it. I followed his gaze and saw the faint outline of a person standing by the side of the road, maybe a hundred feet away. As we got closer, I could see that it was a woman, dressed in a plain white sari. Her back was to us, her long hair flowing behind, and her arm outstretched as though she was trying to hitch a ride. I felt bad for the woman being all alone out here at that hour of the night, and asked the driver if we could offer her a lift. He was unsettled, and rather than speaking directly to me as he had been, mumbled something about there not being enough room in the car. At thirty feet away, she calmly walked out into the middle of the road and stood there, still with her back facing us. I began to panic and tugged on the driver's sleeve, begging him to slow down so as not to hit her. His face was bone white, and he was chanting something under his breath. 
he hit the accelerator hard. I braced for impact against the dashboard, then nothing. At the moment we should have hit that woman, we drove right through her. Instinctively, I turned to look through the rear windows as the driver sped away, and she was still there in the middle of the road, a figure in white, her arm outstretched and her back to us. I didn't know what to do. At first, I was speechless. Then I started yelling at the driver, telling him he could have killed her. I know it doesn't make sense given what had happened, but nothing else did at that time either. For the driver's part, he ignored me and kept going faster and faster, out of the night and away from what we'd seen. At some point, I just gave up asking questions and went back to staring at the road as it slipped away beneath us. And an hour after that, the sun started to crest the horizon. Somehow, my family was still asleep in the back through everything that happened and didn't start to wake until the driver pulled over at one of the small villages I mentioned earlier. The village was still waking up and the streets were quiet as I walked around the car stretching my legs. When I headed for a cup of tea, I felt the driver come up behind me and put his arm on my shoulder. Son, he said, are you sure you want to know what happened? Sometimes it's better not knowing things. I turned and told him I had to know. He sighed heavily and took a drag on his cigarette. The first thing is you never, ever stop for anyone on the highway at that time of night. No good comes from that. Second, what you saw back there wasn't a person. You know that, right? His eyes looked directly into mine. What you saw was, I don't know exactly, a creature of some kind. They appear as women because they know men are more likely to stop. I've been driving for a long time and heard of them before. Drivers, especially truck drivers, talk about them, but few ever stop. The ones who do, many go missing and are found dead next to the road a few days later. Now I'm sorry I ignored you while it was happening, but we had to get out of there as fast as possible. Do you understand? I nodded. We finished our cup of tea and continued on our way. In another 20 minutes, we were home, and the rest of the people in the car never had any idea how close we came to a world we cannot possibly comprehend. Wow. Isn't that creepy? Yes. Holy shit. I mean, yes. being on the highway alone is creepy enough It is. Night. Yeah, I agree. I know one of our listeners, uh, I think his name is Ben, is a truck driver. And I'd be curious, Ben, if you're listening, if you have any stories, I'd, we'd love to hear them. Mm. Or if any of the guys you know from uh, from the industry have any stories. Yeah, you. I'm sure this isn't just an India thing. No, no, I can't yeah. imagine it would be. Yeah. Three from England. Whether you believe it's come about because of ley lines or a history of bloodshed going back some 2,000 years, you cannot argue that England is a land of ghosts. Black dogs, will-o'-the-wisps, UFOs, they've all been sighted in the British Isles. Sometimes in the daylight, but often in the dark. And who better to bear witness to those late night manifestations than taxi drivers? Colm Wilkie became one such witness on the back roads between Corbridge and Newcastle. It was a clear evening, visibility was good, and his passengers sat quietly watching the countryside roll past. Eventually, the open country road narrowed and was packed in amongst dense shrubbery and trees. Wilkie noticed something unusual ahead what looked like a mist forming on the road. It was odd, he said, about five or six feet in height and just hanging there. I'd never seen anything like it. Wilkie geared down as the mist drew closer, and just as he did, it took on what he describes as a vaguely human shape which the car passed right through. Did you see that? He asked his passenger, who had indeed seen it. Wilkie would later learn he was far from the only person who'd seen that mist. Another driver had the same experience, but panicked, and for his trouble, ended up in a ditch. Other people passing through the area have reported a phantom hitchhiker, 
a young woman in a raincoat who stands next to the road as if waiting for someone. Those who stop to offer her a ride say she simply disappears. This is far from the only place in England where taxi drivers have been confronted with the paranormal. On the coast near Marsden Bay, at least two cabbies and a number of other motorists have reported a cyclist who, when they attempt to pass him, veers sharply into or in front of their cars. Description of the man's clothing, green reflective jacket, helmet are all consistent across their accounts, as is the fact that when they pull over to check on him, he's not there. Another driver reports taking a call to pick up an elderly woman for a doctor's appointment, only to be told by her son on arrival that she's been dead for three years. The dispatcher is certain it was the woman herself who booked the appointment. Now, man, how do you even deal with that? Like when you turn up and he says, you know, she's dead, right? You dick. Thanks for resurrecting that trauma. I don't know. I mean, I doubt it was the first time it's happened. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Right? Like, yeah, so maybe he's used to it. Maybe. He's like, oh, mom, making cab appointments for the dead again. <laughs> She's just screwing with cab drivers. <laughs> it's the only phone number I could remember across the veil. So, uh... <laughs> this is the one I'm calling. Yep. Yeah, who knows? Interesting, though. No Really kidding. interesting. The tree. My story begins when I was 15 years old. We were a Muslim family in, living in Mumbai, India, and had moved into a new home only months before. Our mosque was a 15-minute walk from our home, and I would go there for morning prayers. They are held approximately 30 minutes before sunrise. <laughs> I'd be a terrible Muslim. <laughs> so I always had to walk to the mosque in the dark. It was Mumbai, though, so you could always count on the road being busy. There was one corner on that walk which always bothered me. It had a creepy tree with a dumpster underneath it. Usually I would cross the street before reaching it because I just didn't like the way it felt. One day I woke up earlier than usual and decided to leave for the mosque anyway. I thought I would get there ahead of schedule, nap a bit, then be ready for prayers. The streets were quieter than they usually were, but I assumed that was because it was earlier than my usual walk time. However, when I reached the corner with the tree, something went wrong. All the stray dogs in my neighborhood started barking loudly and running at me with a horrible look in their eyes. Even my unofficial stray pet dog, Wadey, who I would feed every day, was coming at me, and Wadey had never behaved anything like this before. I kept walking faster, trying to put some distance between myself and the pack, but Wadey was right behind me. She was almost on me when a taxi stopped right next to me with its back door open. Immediately, I jumped in and slammed the door. The driver pulled away, and through the back window, I could see Wadey and the other dogs still barking at the spot where I'd gotten into the cab. I was relieved at being rescued, but was curious as to why the driver had happened to be there with his door open, and I was not prepared for his answer. He told me he'd been driving, when all of a sudden he saw a huge white light ahead of him. Since it was a one-way road, he thought it was a truck driving the wrong way fast, and so he stopped immediately. That's when the back passenger door side opened, and I got in. Except I had not opened that door. It was open when I got into the taxi. I made it to the mosque okay, and when I came home at my normal times, the dogs behaved as they usually did. Later, I spoke about this with a psychic, who said that there was an entity in the tree which had decided to follow me, and that's what the dogs were reacting to. He believed the entity may have been trying to possess me, but I don't know if I believe that. I still live in the same house near the tree, but I avoid going anywhere near it after dark. Which seems wise. I would agree with that. Holy shit. Yeah, that's not good. No. And it makes sense why the dogs weren't actually attacking this person. Right. They were just barking. They were barking. just barking, trying to get whatever was following this person. Oh, man. 
that's yeah, that's intense. It's interesting because we had a story. Remember on the hotels episode, we had a story. Uh, I think it was from Indonesia, maybe Indonesia. Might have been, might have been Thailand. I'm so bad with this. Um, Southeast Asia. Yes. Either way, there was um, a huge tree. And someone's cell phone went missing inside the mm. ruin of the hotel, but somehow he found it at the tree. Yes. And there's talk about spirits which reside in trees. Yes. Yes. And later there's another story that begins when he spots someone underneath the tree. Wow. So this interesting through line in that culture of trees. Well, there's a tree on the grounds of Royal Roads that I remember the very first time I was walking through there, um, cause it's in the back, like not on like it's on the property, but not on the grounds kind of thing. Oh, okay. And I walked past this spot where there's this huge clearing in this monstrous old tree. And I remember looking at it, I was with my dog, and I remember looking at it thinking, ooh, some weird stuff's happened here. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, you could feel it. Interesting. It was intense. And that feeling never went away no matter what time of year I was there. Huh. Spring, winter, fall, didn't matter. That was, it's a weird tree. So if anyone's walked through there, you'll know, I'm sure you will know exactly which term I'm talking about. I'll have to go check it out. I don't know that one. Yeah. Yeah. Bring your camera. It's really pretty. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Creepy slash creepy. Pretty creepy. <laughs> That's my life. Pretty yeah, creepy. Pretty creepy. Yeah. yeah. I agree. I remember I was having a conversation with someone um, and I... I think they asked me not to mention specifically who they were on the Perfect. show. Perfect. And you can't remember. So that's Perfect. Awesome. Oh no, I remember who it was. Oh, okay. Uh, but, um, I can't remember if they said whether or not it was okay. So yeah. I, I'll just say a person, but they grew up in England. Right. Sort of, I, I want to say like maybe slightly Northern England, but they talk about the trees, which I think are oak trees mm. around their hometown as, as very, um, so where I'm looking for, not menacing, but it was kind of forbidding in their yeah. way. You know, there's something about this particular copse of trees and we were talking about things like fairy circles yeah. and places where, you know, the good folk live. And I wonder if that's what it is, some kind of nature spirit or... Well, this tree on Royal, uh, Royal Road's grounds is an old oak tree. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So maybe that's it? Maybe. Maybe they travel through oak trees. Yikes. Yeah, no kidding. A rainy night in Singapore. Between cops, crooks, and crazies... I thought 20 years of driving cab in Singapore had shown me just about everything there was to see in this world. Turns out I was wrong. My lesson came one rainy night after dropping off an elderly lady in Opera Estate. The rain had been hammering down all night, bouncing off the street and into my headlights. Between that and the coffee, I was desperate to piss. <laughs> so once she'd gotten into her lobby, I started threading through back streets on my way to an all-night gas station on Upper East Coast Road. Most nights, Wu Manchu Road is a nice drive. Quiet, suburban, safe. But that night, whether it was the rain, the dark, or something else entirely, something didn't feel right. Inside my cab, the sound of rain beating on the roof was so loud it occupied everything. The whole world distilled down to a dull roar as the reflection of my headlights bounced on flooded streets. Up ahead, from underneath a huge tree, I saw a man waving at me. The last thing I wanted was a fare, but money is money, and from the way this guy was flailing his arms, he was desperate. Desperate people tip. I started to slow down. The man's face was obscured by the tree he was standing under, but as I got closer, something about his clothes and the way he carried himself seemed familiar. The closer I got to the man, the more uneasy I felt, but I tried to brush it off. After all, if picking up strangers in a city and the rain doesn't make you at least a little nervous, you've been driving too long. <laughs> the man didn't step out from under the tree until I was right up next to him, and that's when it all snapped into focus. The man looked familiar because he was wearing the same shirt as me, and the same trousers, both of them in the same color I had on at that moment. And his face? 
That was mine too. Somehow, through the futile rhythm of my windshield wipers, I was looking at my doppelganger. This other version of me started to walk toward the cab, and as he did, his head, my head, blew off his shoulders and rolled away down the gutter. My heart froze. My face, my head, had just come off, and this other version of me stood there headless and not reacting at all. Then he kept walking toward my car, one hand reaching for the door. Finally shaking off the panic that had frozen me, I screamed and stomped on the gas before he could get closer. I fishtailed wildly, but made some headway, and when I turned to look at my rear view, he was gone. The flooded street was empty. It wasn't until turning onto Upper East Coast Road that I realized I'd pissed myself, but Oops. by that point it was the last thing on my mind. When I finally got to the gas station, a few other cabbies were there, including my friend Alex. Alex was in a full-on panic and ran towards me, screaming my name. The other guys weren't far behind. I was barely out of my car when Alex shouted something at me. My heart was still pounding in my ears, and all around me the rain was roaring, so at first I couldn't hear him. Then he said it again. You're alive. He went on. Half an hour ago, on the taxi radio, I heard your voice shouting for help. You said you were being attacked by a passenger. Then a few minutes later, they found your cabin. You were inside it. Your head had been slashed off. I must have fainted. Mm. When I woke up, there were about a dozen drivers and the police all staring at me, wanting to know what had happened. To this very day, I can't explain it. Yes, there had been a mistake. It was another driver who had died. But what about that vision I'd seen of myself without a head? How do you explain that? Was I supposed to die that night? Wow. Right? That has so many layers. Yeah. Like, first off, seeing a doppelganger yourself, like, that wouldn't be scary enough. Right. And then you see your own head roll off and roll down the gutter. Jesus. No. 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 And alone in the rain, in the city. Yeah, no. Oh, Jesus. No, not doing that. No. And I, I kind of wonder about the uh, the doppelganger thing, you know, like. I don't get it. We have a couple ghost stories on the uh, ghost walks that are doppelganger stories. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. One was the premier of British Columbia. Um, his friends all saw him walking up the street and were waving and saying hi, and he ignored them and kept walking. Right. Meanwhile, he was still in his office. Oh. Yeah. But everyone had seen him. And at one point, he walked right through the streetcar. And everyone oh, was like, Jesus. What? But this was a lot of people saw this happen. Really? Yeah. John Turner. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Huh. Really weird. So they're not always presaging death, it seems. No. Hmm. Sometimes they just break loose and wander around, I guess. <laughs> this guy's boring. I'm like, out of here. Like in Peter Pan with the shadow. You yeah. Know, you can come <laughs> off and run around. Yeah. It was very weird. I, the only experience I've had even remotely close to that was the one in my apartment where I walked past my neighbor and thought, man, he looks like shit. Mm. And I found out a couple of days later, no, he was dead and had not been walking for at least two weeks. No. So, but you uh, saw him. Yep. Did he say anything to you or look at you or? No, we were doing that thing where, cause he just looked miserable. And so we kind of looked at each other and then just kept looking straight, you know, where you pretend yeah. you didn't see each other. Um, but interestingly though, in that book, Psychical Phenomenon in the War, I just found a story like that. Uh, this guy was, I think he was a captain or something. I don't know how military ranks work, but he was marching with his soldiers and one soldier started to lose step until eventually he was in step with the captain or whatever he was. And this was apparently unusual. You know, you're supposed to stay where yeah, you are. Yeah. Uh, so the captain was about to say something and he thought, this guy looks like shit. So he said to him, he said, are you, you okay, soldier? And uh, the guy said, yeah, I'm, f I'm fine. I'm just cold. And the captain said, are, are you hungry? Do you, do you need something to eat? Because he had, I guess, some malted milk balls in his pocket. And the soldier said, sure, I, I could do that. So he handed him some of these malted milk balls. And he said, uh, the private or whatever it was, his hands were cold and he was worried about him and he was distracted by something else. And when he looked back, this guy had lost pace with him 
So he called out, said everyone to stop because he turned around, this kid was gone. Right. And he said, uh, you know, Jimmy, whatever the hell his name is, he's lost. We got to go find him because he just fell behind us. And one of the other soldiers said, uh, you remember Jimmy's dead. Jimmy died last week. <gasps> wow. And he went, oh, right. Oh. Oh. Oh, shit. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you saw your neighbor, so. Yeah. So, well, Weird. I tell you, Matt, if I ever see myself, I'm going to shit. Like as a doppelganger? Yeah. I think I'd just be really embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Is like, that what I look oh like? Oh, my God. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the ones who stopped. In December 2016, I'd flown into Bagdogra Airport, India, on my way to visit my hometown in North Bengal. It was late afternoon by the time my flight touched down, and I hired a taxi to take me the rest of the way home. To save some money, I offered to share my cab ride with a woman who said she was headed to a village we'd have to pass anyway. She accepted, but after a few minutes of driving, admitted she actually lived in a smaller village six miles away from the one she'd originally claimed as her destination. Not okay. No! The road to her village was a nightmare of potholes running through barren country, and it took us a full extra hour to get to her house. That is an uber fail right there. <laughs> By the time we dropped her off and headed back towards the highway, it was dark, and I decided to take advantage of finally having the back seat to myself by falling asleep. I was jarred awake when the driver hit the emergency brakes, and I was tossed onto the floor of the cab. Thankfully, we'd not been driving quickly. Picking myself up, I asked why had he stopped so suddenly, and he said in a shaky voice, We've just run over a little girl in school clothes. I don't know what to do. After a brief discussion, we decided to find the girl and take her to the nearest medical facility. We stepped out of the car and began searching the bushes, but there was no one. No blood or impact mark or any kind of the car. Nothing in the road or nearby bushes. After a while, I suggested to the driver that he'd fallen asleep and imagined the whole thing, but he insisted it was real. Since there was no evidence of a collision or a victim, we eventually decided to continue on, and once we hit the highway, decided it was best to stop for a tea break. This is a very popular thing to do in India. I, was, I gotta say, this sounds like my style. Yeah, <laughs> we stopped for tea breaks. <laughs> While we drank, the driver told the stall owner our story, and he didn't seem all that surprised. According to him, one month before, a schoolgirl was struck and killed by a truck on the road at roughly the same time of day. Not only that, he added, we were far from the only people to see her since then. Interesting. This is kind of ties in with the previous story. Yeah. And I was just, it, I wonder, because the story the driver told, these are forbidding things that will kill you. Yeah. And I just wonder if that's the legend that creeps up around them. Yeah. I mean, that woman could really have been killed. That, you know, the woman in the first story. Yeah. Could have just been killed on that road and was just appearing because that's what she does. And I mean, I, I have heard that driving in India is a horror show. Oh, yeah. Have you seen some of the videos? No. <laughs> yeah, it's like stoplights and stop signs and all those things. There are suggestions. Oh, yeah. You go when you want to go. I remember I was watching a video. It was a comedian. I think he was of sort of South Asian descent. Yeah. And he said he was on a road trip through that area. He knew he was in India because he was at a truck stop. And this truck pulled in and there were two kids on the grill of the truck. Yes. One of them was pouring water into the radiator and the other was at the bottom collecting it and passing the jug back up to him. That <laughs> he said, I'm is home. absolutely true. We would see little pickup trucks holding 30 or 40 people. The back would be packed full and there'd be people riding on the roof and people hanging off the sides. Wow. Yeah. It's just, and I said, whoa, what's going on? And she's like, oh, that's the school bus. 
So yeah. maybe it's just that there are so many people killed on the road. Oh, there are. So I wonder if that's what it is. You yeah. know, this legend kind of grows up around it as there's sirens, you know, yeah. because our, it's our nature to fear. But there's really just so many yeah. dead people. Oh, yeah. what a horrifying thought. Yeah. And stuck by the side of the highway. Ugh. As a former hitchhiker, I know that's no good place to get stuck. Yeah, I'm never hitchhiking. Oh, don't, no. don't. No. Don't do Did it. Did it once because my car broke down. That was it. Where was that? In New Brunswick. Oh, okay. I think I told you that story where the creepy man picked me up and... Those are the only people who pick up hitchhikers. <laughs> and I said, I just need to get to a phone. My friends are oh, expecting me, remember? Right, and he wouldn't stop. He kept going past all the phones until oh. I finally told him I worked for the church. And then he's like, oh, oh. And he pulled over. Because I can't murder a man of the and cloth. And he kind of dumped me there. Yeah. Well, better that than the alternative. Oh, agreed. Holy shit. <laughs> I remember one time, I don't think I've told the story on the show. I might have. Uh, I was hitchhiking and this guy picked me up and... Uh, his whole, because the only people who pick up hitchhikers generally are murderers. Yeah. Uh, people Drinkers. Who, what's that? Drinkers. Drinkers, drug dealers, people looking for someone to talk to, sad sacks. Yeah. Um, so this guy was a sad sack. Yeah. And he was telling me how he had gotten bad blood in a transfusion and it put him, in, put him into a coma, given him hepatitis. And while he was out, his wife and best friend had tanked his car, his car lot and taken all his money and... He said, you know, now I've, I'm poor and I have all these scars from the surgery and my life sucks. And I thought, okay, well, that sucks to be you. And he was yeah. a like, big fat yeah. guy. So time came for him to drop me off. And he said, man, you got to see these scars. Literally, he pulled up his uh, shirt. no. And his, his chest and belly, it, it looked like a roadmap of hell. Wow. These lumpy scars and, oh, it was terrible. It was just the worst. And what did he want? He didn't want anything. He just wanted to show me his pain, I guess. Wow. I don't know. It was, I, he's the only time I ever saw that guy. Sometimes, cause I would hitchhike the same route. Sometimes you'd see the same people. Yeah. Yeah. But thankfully just once with that guy. Wow. Oof. Dark. Unclean. For much of my childhood days in Singapore, my parents often worried about me as they felt I was sensitive to spirits and prone to seeing things others couldn't see. My mother thinks this may stem from the fact that dad's grandmother was the village head woman in the old days back in Thailand. I don't know much about my Thai relations, though, as I have not kept in touch with that side of the family after my father died more than 10 years ago. Mum only mentioned this incident during a visit back to Singapore some years ago, a few decades after we were all grown up and left home. It must have happened during the late 1960s, and I was about four years old at the time. I'm sure I hadn't even started kindergarten yet. My parents, my older sister and I, were walking along Cairnhill Road, near where Cairnhill Hotel now stands, after weekly dinner at Grandma's house. Singapore was a lot quieter in those days. Cars were an expense most families couldn't afford, so there was not much traffic on the road. It was already dark, about 8 or 9 p.m. We'd walked halfway to the bus stop when Dad asked why I kept looking back. I told him there was a tall man in black following us. It was so long ago, I honestly can't remember too many details about what I thought I saw, only that it was something darker than the shadows under the few streetlights. I do remember this growing feeling of unease that made my chest feel too tight. My family couldn't see anyone or anything, and I burst into tears because no one believed me. Even at that young age, I wasn't in the habit of making up tales to my parents. They were very strict with us and frowned on any fanciful nonsense. Children should be seen and not heard and all that. When in public, we were not allowed to create a scene that may embarrass them. <laughs> my behavior seemed so odd to Dad that he hailed a passing taxi, which was a luxury for us at the time, to get us out of there. As we piled into the taxi, my sister looked back from the back seat but said she still couldn't see anything out there. When the taxi driver heard what had upset me, he nodded sagely at Dad and said that Cairnhill was particularly unclean. He advised Dad and Mandarin against having the family out on that stretch of road after dark in future. 
He reminded him that during the Japanese occupation of Singapore from 1942 to 1945, the Japanese military secret police committed many terrible cruelties on the locals. As a consequence, restless spirits were thought to linger in areas where great violence had occurred. It's another one of those, you feel bad for the one person who can sense it. Yeah. But the dad recognized the distress and did something about it. Which is very cool. Very um, cool. Yeah, you know, we, all, we always, we do like to single those out because that's so rare. Yeah, it's either husbands or dads are usually the biggest dicks. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> and bring me another beer. <laughs> so that's kind of awesome. And then the driver actually backed up. Yeah. The feeling. That's kind of awesome. I kind of wonder if, because this was only 20 years after the end of the war, maybe yeah. a little bit less. I wonder if it's, um, you know, the violence that had been visited on the area attracted the mm-hmm. shadows, mm-hmm. you know, if, if that. Yeah. Brought is, darkness out of those atrocities. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. I'm sure. I, I'm equally fascinated and repelled, um, by going somewhere, uh, like to one of the concentration camps because I'm worried about what I will pick up. I almost went to the internment camp. Right. Um, in New Denver. Right. And, uh, I think we got there after it had closed or something. And I'm, I'm almost glad I didn't because the outside alone felt yeah. bad. And that was, I mean, I don't want to say just an internment camp because what the, what was done to the Japanese citizens during the war was horrendous. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't the concentration camp. No. You know, so I can't imagine what that would be like. Yeah. I mean, even the Holocaust Memorial in, uh, DC that I went to, uh, caught me off guard. Really? Yeah. I, did I ever talk about that with the shoes? No, I don't think you did. So you basically go through the experience as if you were a Jewish person and things just keep getting worse. Right. So it starts out with like crystal knocks and having to wear a star and these sorts of things. And then you read this plaque before you cross this bridge and it said something how the Nazis kept everything from people. Right. And one of the things was their shoes. And you go around a corner and you're on this sort of raised bridge. And on either side of you are thousands and thousands of shoes. Oh my Actual God. shoes from oh Holocaust victims. God. And I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty in control of my emotions. Not one to cry at movies, that sort of thing. I was almost overwhelmed because you see the shoes. You see, all I can think of is people going out and buying them. And yeah. wearing them and being told they were being taken to this camp. And so they wore their best shoes. They wore their best clothes. And it broke me. Like I got across the bridge and I'm looking at the shoes, men's, women's, children's shoes, beautiful, you know, leather shoes from that time period. It broke me. It it, it kind of hit me for the first time. And and there's a lot to the museum. And it's, it's something pretty awful about me that it took that long for it to break me. But um that broke me that, that they suddenly became real people. And I think it, right. it's just a matter of like the girl who, who did the study with the Japanese taxi yeah. drivers. You, you have to reach a point where they're people. And cause yeah. it's hard, right? It's, it is hard. You're talking about a, a level of suffering, yeah. which is virtually impossible to oh. comprehend it's in, in its entirety. And the fear and the terror and not just being at the concentration camps, but everything that led up to that. Yeah. And just the wholesale betrayal of an entire group of people who pretty much just considered themselves regular citizens. Yeah, absolutely. And to suddenly find yourself, I mean, you would be bewildered. Even to the, where you were being led into the gas chambers, you'd just be like, I don't understand how did this happen. And, and how, because how could it possibly be real? Right. You know, I, I, I think about that sometimes, especially now with everything happening in the news. Yeah. I just think about this idea that you have a, a, a sort of a belief in the fundamental goodness of people, but then you find yourself led down this path and you think, 
no, this isn't can't really be happening when the way I think bad it's happening. People get in charge, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and I was lucky. I had a, a good friend who is Jewish. She told me, she said, uh, go in the morning, right, uh, and then go and have an incredibly decadent lunch, right. You're going to need to do that, yeah, and plan something fun in the afternoon, of course, because it will psychically drain you. Sure. And it was like, yup. Wow. I walked out of there almost weak legged. I believe it. It was. It shocked me, and and just uh, and they even and this sounds weird. They have a kids section, right, where you live like a Jewish person, right, and find out if you get caught. So you oh get assigned God. an identity, right, and then you're put through this sort of um, display where you're in the house and you have to hide and oh. you know these oh oh Man. my goodness and the people who came up with it, I'm so impressed. Because yeah. they did it with such dignity and class, and they kept it very real, but never exploding into emotion. Right. Just these, this is what happened. I get. I these guess are the facts. That's all you need. This is what happened. You don't need to. to you don't overdo it. It's, but I was impressed by that because right. um, you never felt manipulated. You never felt like you were being coerced into feeling one thing or another. It was literally just the experience of going through this. That oh, it was a very deepening experience no as kidding. a human being to get even a small glimpse of that level of pain and that level of betrayal. I just, I can't imagine. I wish more people could have that experience because mm, I, I think mm-hmm. empathy is something we are lacking yeah. in, in the modern era. Oh, big time. As you know, I'm a, I'm a movie nerd Yeah. and the director, um, I think it was Alejandro Inarritu. Okay. But he was a partner in this exhibit that uh, they had down at the Los Angeles County Museum of Art. And it's a VR experience mm. that mimics the uh, experience of an immigrant. Okay. Someone crossing the desert. Right. From Mexico. And so it's a VR helmet. Wow. But it's it's sort of, um, it's augmented reality. Right. So it's not just the helmet. As you're walking through the environments in the helmet, you're walking through rooms which are temperature controlled for the specific thing. Wow. So you're walking through when the desert is cold at night, yeah. you're walking through a cold room, you're walking through a, a hot room. Right. Just to give you a sense of what it is these people have to go yeah. through. Yeah. You know, so you can make your decisions. If you're going to, I mean, again, you, you feel how you want to about legal immigration, but you need to recognize these are people. These are people. These are people who have suffered and suffered hard. It's and again, however awful. you feel about that, you need to retain the idea that they are human. Well, and it's just so much easier to turn something into an issue rather than a person. Of course. Absolutely. Well, let us never forget our humanity. No. Mm-mm. And on that note, we have one last creepy story. All right. <laughs> let's, let's try and try and bring up the mood. Here. All right. The story of a, actually this one's, never mind. This is not going to bring up the mood. Oh, have great. fun. Thank you. Tour of duty. In 1967, I was a young soldier voluntarily serving in Vietnam on what was then an extended tour of duty in bustling Saigon City. It should be known that leaving the city limits in any direction pretty much placed oneself immediately in the jungle, a more peaceful but contradictory environment for sure. Before I proceed further, you need to know that my dearly beloved grandmother, the fine lady who raised me as a youngster, had died of natural causes two years previously. There was this one day I found myself off-duty and in civilian clothing, and asleep inside one of the darkest, most comfortable bars that I, or anyone for that matter, could possibly imagine. But when the door opened to the outside, the daylight rushing in came with such a blinding flash that it seemed like someone had triggered a set of high-powered industrial lights. Absolutely bright. And that must have been what woke me. I stumbled into the sunlight and heat of the day, still drowsy. A man, all smiles, and perched there up on his three-wheeled contraption, 
climbed down and rushed to greet me. He was a driver, a chauffeur of sorts, a skinny, darkly tanned, barefooted old man with rolled black trousers, a pointed straw sun hat, but no shirt, and matching black stained teeth and gums. He welcomed me aboard his manually operated cycle. It would help if you knew that these tricycle contraptions are open-framed, easily accessible, and equipped with a cushioned but oftentimes hard-backed bench seat. Overhead, there was a ragged cloth canopy, and on all of this was located between two bicycle wheels, with the driver pushing hard on pedals from his single seat behind. I chose mine, or he chose me, how it worked out, I'm not sure how, as I asked how much it would cost to transport me to my downtown hotel. The quoted price being satisfactory, I climbed into the open compartment and settled back for the ride. My destination was inside the city, a hotel only a few blocks and normally only a few minutes distance from where it would begin. It could have been the heat, it could have been the couple of beers I'd downed earlier, or maybe it was the slow and deliberate swaying side to side as the driver pedaled onward, or maybe a combination of all three. Whatever the reason, I soon found myself fast asleep again. What happened next, I cannot explain. Apart from saying that I heard the voice of my grandmother speaking to me, she said, Jerry, wake up, do it now, which I did. I came to realize something wasn't right. No traffic, no buildings, only tall trees with dense green bush aligned the long gravel road stretching ahead. And that's when I saw the man. The man was a few meters distant, probably 75 to 100 feet ahead, as he came from the trees on the left side of the road, stopped in the center of the road when he turned his head momentarily in our direction, and then continued on. Now that was certainly strange, I was thinking, when again my grandmother's voice, Get up, Jerry. There's danger ahead. At this time, I hollered back through the canopy for the driver to stop to let me out. This caused him to speak up. I probably should have jumped out without speaking, but it was too late for that now, so I jumped out anyway. The driver stopped. He looked at me in obvious wonderment, voicing disagreement from his seated position. It was about this time that the man seen moments ago resurfaced, but this time, having returned to the middle of the road where he stood and engaged in a conversation with my driver in a language I didn't understand but got the gist of anyway, it was became obvious when the man motioned repeatedly for us to continue forward to his location. I refused to get back inside the transport. My heart beating loudly in my ears, my thoughts began associating my ongoing happening with something I had read earlier concerning recent attacks on U.S. soldiers, where all were beaten and robbed and some were killed. We were cautioned to avoid such locations where we, too, might become victims. Well, bingo. Yep, you done goofed. I turned out my wallet, exposing the contents to be only one lonely $10 in U.S. currency and a few pocketed local coins and loose change. I handed the same to my driver. I then turned all my pockets inside out to show that this money was my only thing of value. I had no wristwatch or ring or necklace, nothing other than my army dog tags around my neck, which I also handed to my driver. This caused him to smile again, showing those black, ugly teeth. My driver addressed the man on the road, and without actually understanding his language, I understood him to explain what I had just done. In response, the waiting man spoke, sounding angry, but then turned and continued walking across the road and disappeared into the jungle there. My driver, still seated and me still standing, looked at each other for a few unspoken minutes, finally coming to the realization that each had gotten what the other wanted, and me without my head being bashed in, I shrugged and asked the driver to kindly take me back to the city. He smiled, nodded his agreement, 
Good thing, too, because I had no idea where I was or where the otherwise quite lonely and isolated gravel road led to, other than a quick road to perdition, I mean. He climbed down and repositioned his cycle so it now faced in the opposite direction. That's when I climbed back aboard. The sway of the pedaling resumed, and the heat remained, but this time, without me drifting off to sleep. In fact, I'm not sure if I managed to get any sleep at all that night. Thanks, Grandma. No kidding. I wow. don't think I'd ever sleep again. No. Jesus. Moral of the story, don't trust men with no teeth. <laughs> that's I. Yes. That's it. That's I, the only I, That's it. No, there's. I got from that I don't story. know what other moral you could possibly discern from Pretty any of Pretty much. I mean, teeth are so important. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Well, that's going to do it for Taxi Stories. Nice. That was a lot of fun. So coming up after the break, our patron shoutouts and some listener mail. I'm Jen. And we're your two hosts from the Booze and Bourbon Podcast. If you haven't heard of us yet, well, basically we talk about paranormal activities. We also rate and review bourbon in every episode. So we invite you to grab a drinking vessel and settle in. We're not going to be settled because we have been sipping bourbon throughout the entire duration of any of the episodes. Hey, so Kim, would you rather spend the night in the dark forest... Or would you rather spend the night in a haunted old asylum? I think I'd rather listen to the podcast instead. If you want to hear us, you can follow us on Apple, Google, Spotify, and Spreaker. And you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Booze and Bourbon. We're just here for the booze. Welcome back. Thanks as always to our researchers Luke Greensmith and Anthony Germain for their work yes. on this episode. You will actually uh, be meeting them eventually. Uh, I know we talked about in January doing a big water cooler episode uh, because our patrons, of course, get yeah the water cooler episodes where Ian and I talk about the movies and TV we've been watching. And food we've been and eating. And food we've been yeah. eating. Uh, but um, I think we're going to release part of that for everyone so nice. everyone can hear what uh, Luke and Anthony sound like. Are we going to fly Luke in? Because uh, we're really making so much money on our patrons. Yeah. Thing now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we could buy him a paper airplane. And I laugh and laugh. A lovely balsa wood airplane. I remember those things. Yeah, I do remember a those. A lot of fun. I shouldn't joke. I am seriously amazed and grateful at the people oh, who donate to us. 100%. So. Yeah. And, but... and that takes us to our patron shout outs. Yeah. Wow, I'm so smooth. Nicely done. Thank you. Ian Segway Gibbs. Planned the whole thing. <laughs> Of course, we'd like to thank all our patrons, but mm -hmm. we'd especially like to thank our newest patrons. Mysteries and Monsters, of course, that's Paul Bestel's podcast, and I don't know if they've launched yet, but make sure to keep an eye out for them. I know he was mentioning having us on there at some point, so right, yeah. that'll be fun. Uh, Kathleen Munch. And Allie Ford. And we also had a handful of people adjust their pledges upward to hit our $20 Ghost Force tier. Because everybody wants my album. <laughs> that's, that's 100%. <laughs> 
hundred percent. Thank you all who have done that. That's pretty awesome. Yes, and, and thank you everyone. Again, we are continually humbled by all your support. Humbled and grateful. You just yeah. let us. This enables us to do so much more with the show. I mean, we've you know we've added obviously the twenty dollar Ghost Force tier, mm-hmm. so you get the postcards postcard size ghost force magnet yeah. uh, designed by Catherine Holmes. Yeah. You will get three art cards of my night shots uh, and you of course get a digital copy of the one the only Ian Gibbs oh, Lord. smash hit 1995 Christian country <laughs> album Aware of Wonder. There was somebody posted on, on Facebook about oh I think my mom has this in her attic and I'm like where it belongs. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Well actually I think it was uh, one of our listeners Jay commented on the post and said we got to get this to number one yeah <laughs> so I, challenge accepted i gotta, oh, I gotta see that yeah <laughs> so thank you again everyone if, if you want to become a patron you can find us over at patreon.com slash ghost story guys we have tiers at one five ten and twenty dollars yeah and yeah the rewards are at, for twenty dollars as we've mentioned for five you get the exclusive patron only sticker plus early access to the shows and uh, the yeah the exclusive water cooler episodes, which in the case of bonus episodes, sometimes the water cooler is longer than the show. I know that's embarrassing. Yeah, we well, I tell you this one's going to be long. I've watched a lot of movies. Oh Lord, I love the winter. You're just going to talk and talk, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've only seen one movie, so we can talk about that. We can do that. All right, and now it's time for some listener mail. Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you. First up, uh, we wanted to say thank you to Bob V, mm-hmm. who sent us in this fantastic artwork of the cabin. The cabin. It is the cabin. It's got our logo and everything. Bob, yeah. you did a fantastic job. Thank you so, so much. Very cool. Uh, I'm going to post that on social media probably tonight. Okay. So, uh, Bob, he didn't give me any kind of social media links to include, but Bob, if you want me to add some later, just send us a message and we will make sure to do that. I love it. But this is cool as hell. Thank yeah. you so much. Very cool. We had an email from Jessica who was telling us that, uh, she's in the Pennsylvania area. Actually, she's in near the Brandywine, mm, where mm-hmm. which we talked about on the bonus. Yeah, episode. yeah, yeah. So, uh, she gave us a great story and said if we're ever in Wrightsville or Brandywine, then, uh. We should let her know. And definitely. We definitely will. You never Very know. Cool. I, I have a feeling I'm going to end up in Pennsylvania again soon. We had an email from Matt who's telling us a story about Parsons Canvas, which we'll be sharing on upcoming listener stories episode. Thank you, Matt. Uh, we also had an email from uh, Gernur, who, is li- who lives in Calgary. Yay! Yes. And in turns out they are hood bros. Yeah. They live, they grew up in the same area. Northeast! <laughs> Jesus. So thank you so much for your email and for provoking Ian to do that, which I've never heard before and was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> we had an email from Rosie in San Diego, who was commenting on a family from an episode of Ghost Adventures. I haven't seen this episode. Have no, you? I haven't. I haven't seen any Ghost Adventures for years, to be honest. Fair enough. Uh, it sounds fascinating though. So, uh, we're going to be looking into that and thank you, Rosie. We also had stories from Andrew Athanasia. I hope I got spelled that right. Athanasia. Athanasia. Yeah. Athanasia. Yeah. I almost said. Well, if we, I think it's Athanasia. Athanasia. But I spelled it wrong the first time I emailed her back and I apologize. (laughs) I think I called her Anastasia. Oh boy. Right. Like there's so many. Now that we've offended you in all possible ways. Completely. No, Uh, she was very sweet. But some stories from her. From Brandy, from Brett. And our friend Tori, who told us about uh, how her grandfather used to douse for water on the Manitoba Oh, prairies. no way. Yeah, yeah. She she knows all about it. Oh, cool. Uh, on the subject of dowsing, we had a message from Teresa. Right. From Peculiar Mayhem, who told who sent us a picture of her dowsing pendulum. <gasps> cool. Yeah, I'll show you afterwards. Pen- pendulum dowsing. Yeah, they're very cool. I'd like to try that. 
Uh, Anthony has offered to teach us how to douse. I'm in. He, he's ordered a new dousing thing, so he said... Wow, like douser rods RS kind of thing? I guess, yeah. <laughs> I didn't ask. Findfreewater.com. That's right. Uh, we also had emails from Sarah, uh, another Tory. Yeah. And Michael. Thank you to everyone who emailed again. If we missed your name, our apologies, but uh, we certainly love getting your stories. And I think we've probably got enough for a listener's stories episode coming up. And Michael, we love you too. Oh, right. Yes, Michael says, I love you both. I'm a dude. That's cool. <laughs> love is love, man. I do not care. Thank you very much. That's going to do it for listener mail. Uh, we don't really have anything coming up, do we? It's Well, I tell you what we got coming up, and I'm excited. Season break. Yes. Oh, my God. I have no ghost walks for December, oh. and then we've got no podcasting for January. Yeah, and now we will have an episode in January. Yeah. Um, we're going to have, we're officially back. On the 22nd, I believe that episode comes up. That's the um, the Mythical Dream episode. Right. But uh, we're going to have an episode two weeks before that, so you right. guys aren't going to miss anything. No. And we will have that water cooler episode at some point in there. Yeah. But in terms of actually recording, we're going to record that in advance. We are going to have almost a month off. I said before we should record, so we've got like four or five in the bag. and then we just... Yeah, but you don't have to write them. Oh. Or edit them. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Yes. That's a lot. It's a lovely idea. Yeah, you should do what I do. Nothing. <laughs> we got to hire some idiot to work for us now. <laughs> Patreon goal. Hire some idiot to do all the work. <laughs> Jesus. So yeah, so I'm looking forward to uh, to season break, but uh, that's not quite here yet. We're going to have another episode coming up, our uh, Christmas Victorian ghost stories. I'm so excited for this. Yes. That was, this was, uh, this is Ian's baby. It He's is. Very Absolutely. excited. Very excited. Uh, so I guess that's really it. There's aside from that, there's nothing new coming up. Nope. Of course, if you want to hear more of my voice, I do a and week, who wouldn't who wouldn't I do a weekly music show over on ninety two point five Stoke FM. Of course, if you're not in the Rebel Stoke broadcast area, you can hear it at stokefm.com or via the TuneIn app. And that's uh, again Wednesdays at eight p.m. Pacific. Just an hour of tunes and talk. I always try and come up with stuff that uh, most people maybe not most people but uh, stuff most people yeah stuff most people haven't heard. Right. And uh, I, I and hopefully I, aren't offended by. Well, actually, I can't play anything too crazy because it's uh, before 10. Oh, so before, I, 10. before 10. <laughs> yeah. Every now and again, you know, if I want to play some Riot at the Dojo or something, I, I'll just, I, I'll slip a little warning in. That you should know? be your, the name of your show. What's that? Before 10. Before 10. Store. Oh, yeah. I would love to do a late night show, but no one would listen. You don't know that. I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay. In Revelstoke, I know for a fact. Well, in everyone goes listening. to bed, right? Yeah, yeah. Because, no you know, do. the monsters come out. And true. But uh, yeah, so again, that's Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Pacific over on 92.5 Stoke FM or via the web at stokefm.com. Yeah. You can find me on Instagram at Largely the Truth. I do some night photography and you can see the playlist for the show posted there, usually the morning of the show. Nice. Uh, you are not on social media, really. What? You're on Facebook. I'm on Facebook. That's yes. all that matters. <laughs> I'm not messing around with these flash in the pan things like kids are into these days. Oh, here we go. <laughs> it's the sound of old age blowing in from the north. Pretty much. Yeah. You kind of just don't care. No, that's fair enough. Like, I was in a movie last night, and these four kids were in front of me, and they were in their mid-teens. Right. Did they put their fucking phones away at all during the movie? No, they did not. Really? They were on their phones the whole movie. That would drive me nuts. Well, I did lean forward at one point, and I went, seriously? And then they tilted them down so they weren't shining in my face, but they they were using them the whole time. Why even go see a movie? I questioned that myself. Oh, Lord. Now I feel old. See? Yep. See? Jesus. This is how it happens. Uh. (laughs) 
If you want to send us a message or a story, we'd love to hear from you. You can send us an email at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com or send us a message via our Facebook page. And I'm still looking for stories for Greater Vancouver area. Please, if you have any, send them on in. And when I say Greater Victoria, no offense to you Washington people, I'm talking about Greater Victoria and BC. Greater Vancouver. That's what I meant. You said yes. I know what I said. Okay. It's not what I meant. Greater Vancouver. Edit the fuck out of it and just stop. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> edit, edit this to make me sound good. That's right. Call me Brittany. <laughs> you can also follow us on Instagram. We're always posting uh, kooky memes. I like to think we've got a pretty great Instagram account. It's not at all paranormal, nine-tenths of the time. It's just whatever <laughs> weird shit we happen to find and think is funny. Which is a lot. Yes. Well, yeah. we are strange people. We are. Definitely. So true. Turns out we're not alone. Thank God for that. <laughs> Ghost story, guys. You're not alone. Yeah. <laughs> we are as weird as you are. That's right. Maybe even weirder. <laughs> Maybe even weirder. <laughs> We'd like to thank our musical guest, Starfighter. The song was Nighthawk from their 2017 EP, After Hours. You can find more from them at future80s.bandcamp.com. And of course, we'd like to thank Future 80s Records as well. Mm-hmm. I guess that's going to do it. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Yes, thank you very much. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. And until then, into the darkness we go. Instant, so they oh. just go like, thank you to, oh, I know it's so hard. Sounds extra. I'll give you extra. You want I am basic. <laughs> yes. I'll press the flippers. <laughs> <laughs> this is all getting cut out. Oh, yeah. Proud of you, little buddy. <laughs> Thanks, Superman. <laughs> oh, see. Give you motivation. Three from England. Sick my invisible kids on you. They're vicious. <laughs> they have uh, black belts in jujitsu. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, their hands are deadly weapons. <laughs> Finally shaking off the panic that immobilized. Finally shaking off the panic that immobilized. Fuck. Ah, that word sucks. Yeah. Finally shaking off the panic. Ah, Finally shaking off the panic that him... Finally shaking off the panic that had frozen me. Yes, thank you. What a strange idea that is. I can't even imagine.